Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. Isaiah 53. Be patient with me. Here we go. Verse 1. Who has believed our report? This is the prophecy of Isaiah. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. This is speaking of Jesus. The coming of the Messiah in a dry ground, a dry place, which refers to a very religious and dark area. Jesus was fixing to sprout out of that kind of environment. God was fixing to send his only begotten son. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. That means that he is not someone that you would look at and say, hmm, he must be somebody just by looks. So this is part of all of God's strategy. This was part of the plan. So he may not have looked like someone you thought he should look like coming as the Messiah. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. In other words, he's going to experience a lot of rejection. A lot of letdowns when it comes to people because people aren't going to look at him like he is somebody. People are going to look at him and say, who does this guy think he is? And you can read that in the New Testament. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carry our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, chastis- the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. He did that for you and I. But part of the reason why he was able to go through the process is because he came into this world very humble, very lowly. Think about this. When God sends the Messiah, when he sends the king of kings into this world, he didn't send the men with the crown. He sent the men with the cross. And they didn't recognize him. So, and we like sheep have all gone astray in verse 6. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he was so, so he opened not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? In other words, who is going to stand in the gap to represent what he has done, who he was, and what he did for you and I? Who's going to be bold enough to stand up and follow through with what he started? For he was cut out from the land of the living. And for the, trans, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the, but with the rich at, with the rich, his death at his death, 
because he had done no violence, nor was he was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord, and that's what's so moving to me. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteousness, my righteous servant shall justify many. Say, I'm part of the many. Say, I am part of the many that have been justified for he shall bear their iniquity. Have you ever been forgiven by God? Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. Because he went through this, I'm going to divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore our sin of many. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a man. What a man. Read that entire portion. We just went through the whole chapter. Chapter 53. And you saw what you saw was the actual strategy for God's plan. This Sunday morning, we're going to talk about strategy for winning. Strategy for winning. To prove to you biblically that you have been given the edge over your enemies and God has caused you to live a triumphant life and there is nothing that you're facing that you should never feel whether or not you're going to win or lose. It should be unmistakable, undoubted that you are made to win. You are made to win. Can you lift up your hands now? You pray for the service. Come on, let's pray this Sunday morning. Come on, Lord Jesus, in your name. Lift your voice up. Come on, lift your voice up. Lift your voice up and just tell him, Lord Jesus, bless this service. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We bless your name. We bless your name, Jesus. We bless your name. We thank you for touching this service and moving on your people. Thank you for blessing us today with your goodness and graciousness. Thank you for visiting us in this house. There's nothing, God, more important than your presence today. Help us do a good job in a short amount of time and let us receive something today, God, from you. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. 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 You can be seated this Sunday morning only if you feel like a winner. Someone say, God is good. He is so good. He is so good even when I'm bad. Oh, man, you ever, you ever feel that way sometimes? Why, Lord, why would you even show me this kind of goodness in my life when I've been, I failed, I, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. Well, I think we can all agree that no one's perfect, right? But God sees the heart. 
And God knows the destiny and the plan that he has for you. And, and, and furthermore, you were designed to win. You were designed to win. You can, you can go far and wide to try to find something that will fill your soul. But until you actually accept and make room for Jesus in your life, you will be the most miserable, unsatisfied individual in this world. I think the most miserable person in the world are people who know God, seen God, but yet forgotten God. Because once you have tasted of the Lord and seen how good he is, there is nothing else in the world that can satisfy you. There is no substitute for the real thing. Well, today there's going to be two teams that are going to be playing against each other for the 53rd time. To see who's the best. And along with all of this hoopla and the millions of dollars paid for advertising for a short commercial and with all the finances that are being made today, it's all speculated around a group of men. A group of men dressed up in shoulder pads, wearing high knee socks. Sound like I'm describing an 80s person, right? Dressing up for a fashion show. Chasing a pigskin. It's really based and evolved around the heart of a winner. The heart of a winner. People in America, we are attracted to challenges. In America, we're attracted to winning. There's something about us in our nature that we are drawn to the sacrifice as well. We're drawn to that moment where we spend hours and weeks and months just for one glorious moment of, of, of challenge and see if we can, we can overcome an obstacle or beat an opponent. Many hours of practice have gone into this. Many seasons of potential defeat have already, they've been through. Now for this one moment. And I have to tell you that whoever wins today, whoever wins, that team first won in their minds. Whoever wins today is going to be a team that has practiced the hardest, sacrificed, had great strategy, great synergy, because winning doesn't just happen. Winning doesn't just happen. Vince Lombardi said winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all-time thing. You have to win first up here, not just in a sport, but in your life, in your, in your being. The mindset of a champion doesn't re receive an experienced defeat. The mindset of a champion is not one that will settle 
per second. Now in the kingdom of God, we're not in competition. We're more like a community. But when it comes to the kingdom, we all are on the same team. We all have the same Savior. We all have the same spirit. But there is an opposing team. Whether we want to recognize it or not, we have to address this. That there is always going to be opposition. Or in other words, there's always going to be someone who doesn't want you to win. It may not be a person, but I guarantee you it's a spirit. We call him the devil with a little d. The reason is, it's really not because of you, but it's because of who's inside of you. And when you learn and you understand that the mind is the very first place for the battles, the victories, and every, every moment is first won here, then you understand that the real battlefield is the mind. This is where the enemy loves to hit God's people is in their thinking. It starts with the thought. It starts, then evolves into a feeling, and then it goes into it, just an uncontrolled emotion, and then it leads to action, and then action, you reap what you sow, and then you end up either walking after God's blessings or God's will for your life, or you end up walking downward, spiraling into an absolute mess. But aren't you grateful that God can turn messes into miracles? Aren't you glad that God can take a mess up and he can turn it into a place of mercy and grace and restoration and forgiveness? I thank God for second chances in my life. I thank God every single time I've messed up or didn't hear the play correctly that I was able to stop and thank God for this right here, man. Or excuse me, the cross. That's the Christian way. My God, I don't know what to do. Hold, 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 hold. I need mercy. I need direction. Uh, that's, you know, you got to realize that no one is exempt from the mercy of God. No one is exempt from that in your life. But the players have to have the trophies in their hands before they can ever step out into the field. And so the Christian always has to have the cross in mind before he ever steps out into life. The cross, it's where it's at. Oh, my God. The old rugged cross. If you can just imagine that, that moment in time where the blood, the first drop of blood happened in Pilate's Hall and carried its way and left the blood trail all the way up Golgotha's Hill, and then Jesus cried out and said, it is finished. And this was a absolute, to me, best strategy I have ever seen in my life or heard about or read about. 
God had a plan. God's plan was to win, not to lose. God is a winner, not a whiner, by the way. And so we should also carry that same nature. God is a winner, and God wants you to win in life all the time. All the time. Yes, in everything that you do, in everything that you are, God wants you to come out on top. On top. Strategy is everything. And so they get the mindset. They get a plan, and the plan involves a strategy. The strategy has to come in. Strategy is everything, strategizing. The Holy Ghost is the strategist in our life. The Spirit of Christ inside of us is the strategy. What an excellent strategy God had. God said, I'm coming into the world. I'm sending my only begotten Son. I'm sending him into the world, and I'm going to not look like everyone else. I'm not going to act like everyone else. In fact, I'm going to be an outcast. I'm going to make my son an outcast. I'm going to make him look like a pauper, not like a prince. Because I know human nature. I know human nature. I know what people are drawn to. If I, if I send my son, and excuse me for the, for, the, for the place I'm speaking in person, but just flow with my imagination. If this was God brainstorming, I would imagine that God would say something like this in thinking among himself, saying, if I send him in, tall, broad-shouldered, blue eyes, gold and bronze, tan, that's kind of weird. Maybe not the bronze. Maybe the golden. I'm not sure. If I sent him in there looking like that, then people would be naturally drawn to him. If I made him tall, he would stand out head and shoulders above the rest. If I brought him into this world through a very wealthy family, then he would be liked by many because he had a lot of guacamole. <laughs> God knew how to design his son, for lack of better words, design. It's true because the scripture says we've all been wonderfully and fearfully made. He knew that if you sent him in that way, that it would be a lot easier for someone to say, especially if he was born from a super religious Pharisee, Sadducee family, pharmaceutical. But he sent him in as a lowly, meek, humble servant. And the scripture says that he became poor so you, you and I can become rich. That was the strategy. I would call this many times, if you saw it out in the field, I would call it something similar to a quarterback sneak. 
or you think he's going to pass it to someone else, but then he takes the ball himself and just runs to there and scores the winning touchdown, right? Well, God said, you know, I have had many players. I've had many prophets. I've had many people. And every time I handed them the ball, they just didn't make it far. I'm just going to do it myself this time. I'm just going to come into the world. And this is what John wrote. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word word means logos or plan. So God had a plan from the very beginning. And the plan was that he would send his own son, his own spirit, his own blood to do the job right. But he had to come in under the radar so he could not be promoted by men, but only promoted by God. Because many times people look at you and they'll try to find something significant about you, what they like to be attracted to you. And many times you and I maybe not have the makeup. We may not have the bank account. We may not have the right car. We may not have the right clothing. But I have always realized, never, ever judge a book by its cover. Ever. Case in point. They thought Saul was the man, but David was, and they overlooked him because he didn't have the right makeup. And they did the same thing to Jesus. When he came into this world, he was born in a manger. He had to travel and try to find a place, but no one would let him in. He didn't have that kind of privilege. But at his birth, I promise you, I've had, well, my wife has had four kids, I have never seen an angel at our birthing, but Jesus had angels all around him. Shepherds came out from afar. The star, the star was right above him, and he was different than everybody else. But here's what's really interesting is that when the wise men were searching for him, they saw the star. Even they told Herod, when Herod asked for the direction where the star was, they told him. But when he looked up there, he couldn't see it because it was only meant for them to see it. So in other words, not everybody has the eye to see your greatness in your life. Not everybody's going to recognize and see what God sees. So you can never judge yourself based on what other people think about you. You're going to have to judge yourself and what the Word of God says about you. And the Word of God says that you are loved, that you have been forgiven, that you are a son and a child of the Most High God. Somebody give him some praise. Somebody give him some praise. Someone shout, God is good. You're a child of God. And listen, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it. They missed it. Because you can't see in the dark. I've tried it before. I thought maybe I would get this cat eye vision and my eyes would adjust to it and I can start seeing shadows and images and it doesn't work. When it's dark, you can't see a thing. Now, 
you can see fine right now, but did you know that you can have perfect eyesight in your physical body but still be spiritually blind? And so many times when God does something, unless someone has an ear to hear and eye to see, unless he gives them discernment or unless he gives them a tender heart towards him, they are never going to understand until God blesses them with life and life more abundantly. You really want to see what this is all about today. Today, be on the winning side. Today, choose to be on the winning side. Today, today, call out, call a timeout today and say, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I want to understand what this whole thing's about. I know my family loves you, but I want to know why you love me. And it'll show you. Who am I talking to? He will show you. He loves you so much. God didn't, the Lord didn't have a big team. He had 12. He had 12. But he was going to train them. He was going to teach them. He was going to show them. He was an excellent coach. Not only did he show them how to play the game, he actually played the game. They saw he led by example. He never lost one time. Undefeated. Never lost one time. Calvary wasn't a loss. It was the ultimate win. It was the ultimate win. Jesus spent three years training those men. He spent three years pouring into them. He had a plan. He taught them the plan after he had been resurrected. He spent 40 days and 40 nights with them. And in Matthew chapter 16, the scripture says, he said to them, go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is, and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. He told them, in my name, they will cast out demons. In other words, there's no force that can oppose you. You're going to win. They will speak in new tongues because God, you know, the tongue is connected to the heart. You know that, right? I can without having to go to another whole sermon, let me just tell you that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when God says they're going to speak in new tongues, what he's actually trying to tell the people is, I'm going to change their hearts. I'm going to change their hearts. And they will take up serpents. Don't go pick up snakes now, okay? <laughs> Seen that happen before. They, didn't. they would drink anything deadly. Don't test God. But it will by no means hurt them. But they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In other words, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you have the advantage. Don't judge yourself by what you look like, how smart you are, how wealthy you are. Don't judge yourself by what you see on the outside. I'm going to give you something you can judge yourself by the inside. Now, that sounds like a plan to me. That sounds great. But they needed more than just a good plan. 
So every writer of the scripture tells this story of those 40 days and 40 nights spent with Jesus. John has a different story. Luke has a different story. Matthew has a different story. Luke said it like this in verse 24, verses 45. He said, and he spent and opened their understanding that they might comprehend, that they might comprehend what the scriptures said. And he said to them, thus it is written, and it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He said, I had to do it. I had to go there. I had to experience this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name, in his name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you, he said, are witnesses of these things. And he said, behold, now he gave them the plan again, but now he's fixing to give them the strategy and fixing to show them what they're going to need to have the edge. And he said to them, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued from pow- with power from on high. Somebody say power. power. Now I'm going to tell you something. The house you live in right now was built with power. The vehicle that brought you to church brought you here with power. The lights that we're enjoying here, everything that you see was built and maintained, sustained itself with power. I don't know what it's like to stand next to a giant, but I've seen some pretty tall people in my life. When I take a look at those football games and I see those linemen, I think to myself, how in the world did they, what in the world did they eat when they were little? Corn fed, boy, I tell you what. Big old boys, burly, tall. Big guys. But everyone, everyone, trust me, this is the element that you don't see. Everyone on those teams, when you watch the game today, I want you to know that in the off seasons, in their spare time, that they were building, working out. They were trying to get power, power in their legs, power in their arms and chest and tries and shoulders and lats. Because if they're going to win the game, not only do you need speed strategy, not only do you need a good synergy, you're going to need power because if not, them big guys are going to push you over. And if you don't have the power to push somebody back, then they don't have the ability to run right through. Nothing is done without power. Back in the old days, I realized that when we, before we had 
electricity. I realize I've seen documentaries of people that have built houses and they use the handsaw. Some of you men would appreciate this, but I promise you the house that you live in wasn't built by a bunch of men that were just... What time is it, man? Gee. All day. All day. Ain't no way. It was like this. That's my, that's my little sound effect for Saul's. Like an 18-wheeler. Power makes it easy. Aren't you thankful for power? I got to tell you, I'm thankful for power. I am. I'm glad I didn't have to ride my bike to church this morning. I'm glad I didn't have to hitch a ride with somebody else who had some horses and a carriage. I'm telling you that it's just power is, is beneficial, but power is the secret. Power was the strategy. You want to know why Jesus had the favor of God? You want to know why Jesus never lost the battle? It's because he walked humble and he was a son that recognized that he was being empowered by the Father. And when he walked in this world, he walked in the meekness of heart. He walked with humility. He walked in a place where where he could stay decreased so the spirit of God in him could continually increase. So in the kingdom of God, this is how it works. The more power you have is based on the authority you've been given. And the highest authority in the kingdom of God is being a son of God. And to be a son, you have to recognize who the father is and walk with humility and walk with surrender and walk with submission and recognize that I'm not a lot. I'm not a man that had built my up my own life. I'm not this individual who can do all things by myself. Listen, at one point in your life, you are going to recognize that you need Jesus. You need someone who is bigger than you, stronger than you, wiser than you. Everything you have accomplished in your life so far has not been by the sweat of your brow alone. God has blessed you. God has enabled you. God has given you a mind that because you were wonderfully and fearfully made, God gave you the ability to do those things. But here is what we need to recognize. God just didn't give you birth or bring you to a church to just get saved. God brought you in here, so God brought you into the body, so God can do more than that. He wants you to go out there and save others, help others, make a difference in the world, but you can't do that until he gives you something that's life-changing. You see, you can't change the world unless God can first change your heart. You and I can't make a difference unless we let God make a difference in here. That's what he was trying to teach the disciples. He said, the words that I use are not my own, but my heavenly Father. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. How saith then, show us the Father? Everything I do. I was born for this reason, he said, to fulfill the will of my father. He was a son. He was a son. Oh, my God. The only point I'm giving you today is this. 
Don't expect to win without power. Don't expect to win without power. Listen, I want to explain something to everyone here and everyone watching on the internet or live. I want everyone to understand that we are very happy when salvation comes to your soul and salvation comes to your life. We are very happy because that's where it all begins. We're, we're very happy that you're saved. God has erased your past. He's given you a future. and He's given you a hope. But there is so much more to this. Once you have been forgiven, once you have been saved, God wants to give you power, power to overcome, power to live, power to make a difference. The apostles needed this. The apostles couldn't go out there and change the world. God was raising up a winning team in the offseason before they ever went out on their own. They were under his tutelage. They were constantly seeing him go and, and being empowered by the Father. They were constantly seeing him going out and healing the sick, raising the dead. He led by example. And even one time he sent them out and he said, go, this is the practice run, a preseason game. Go out there, heal the sick, raise the dead. He said, freely you have, freely you give, freely you've received. Now go out there. I'm going to empower you to do this. I'm going to work with you. And he gave them a trial run, and the Spirit of God rested on them. But here's what is fascinating. He even told them, don't depend on anything else. Don't take any coats with you. Don't take any food with you. Don't take nothing with you. You go out there and learn how to trust me. He had to strip them. He had to strip them of their own capabilities. Strip them of their resources. Strip them of their own ego. And teach them. You're going to have to learn that without me, you can do nothing. You've got to trust me. You have to believe in me. You've got to depend on me. But then when game time came and it was time for them to go out, then he told them, listen, beforehand I told you not to take any extra coats, don't take any food, don't take anything with you. Now you can take all that stuff because in your mind you understand that that's not going to make the difference. It's going to be me that makes the difference. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how big you are, what your name is. It doesn't matter who you know. If you don't know me, you're never going to win. If you don't know me, you're never going to make it. If you don't wait on me, you're not going to see a change in your world. You're not going to see it. Jesus took the 12. It was his all-star team. He took them and he said, I'm going to use you to change the world. But first, wait in Jerusalem. Oh, man. Matthew 28, 18, and 20. Listen, in the kingdom of God, position is power. In the kingdom of God, position is power. To be in a position means that you are in a place of authority. And 
when Jesus looked at them, he told them, listen, I want you to know. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. Someone say it with me. All authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, go, therefore, now that you understand this, now that you can conceive this, now that you have been trained, now you can go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am, always, I, will, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there with you. So here's the correlation. Here's the correlation. If all power in heaven and in earth was given to Jesus, then when on that day in Jerusalem, when the Spirit of God was poured out on all humanity, that tells me the same Spirit that was in Christ that enabled him to trample over every demon, every spirit, every loose people of every addiction, heal people of every disease, and just ward off every attack from the enemy, that same authority, that same power was transferred to them. It was transferred to them, and then they were born again. You were born again to win. You were born again to win. What you have inside of you, catch this now, think about this. What you have and who you have inside of you is no different from what the apostles had inside of them. No different. You want to know the game plan? You got to make it to the huddle. You want to know what the plan is? You got to go into the huddle. You got to join up. That's what church is. Church is the huddle. That's what prayer time is. Prayer time is the huddle. That, that, that's, what, that's what it's all about. You see, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is right in the middle. So when the disciples came together in that day, Jesus stood in the middle, and he was telling them, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take off. You're going to hand it to him. You're going to hand it to him. You're going to... They knew exactly what was going on. They knew through prophecy. They knew through the gifts of the Spirit. If you don't believe that God is able to go beyond your own flesh and blood, then you're limited because God is everywhere. God works in every heart. God's Spirit, God's gifts, God's blessings. God works, but he doesn't work beyond what works in here. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the what? Power that works within who? Us. According to the power that works within us. Position is everything. So this is what Jesus said. And if I'm paraphrasing, just to help you understand, I'm coming to a close. Jesus said, if you'll give me a place to sit in your heart, or if you make and give me your heart for my throne, 
then I'll let you sit with me on mine. Watch this. Watch this. Ephesians 2, 4, and 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, I don't know if you understand this. The moment you have made the Lord Jesus your Lord and Savior, you gave him a place to sit in your heart, and he said, thanks for being kind. I'm going to repay the favor. Now you can sit with me. That's how it works. You've got Jesus in your life, and where he is, you are. See, the Lord even explained this one time to people that were religious. He said, I am here on the earth, but I'm also in heaven. What he was saying was, is that what was inside of him was from another world, and it was connected to him. That's how the scripture gives us the ability to understand when it says, whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because simultaneously, what's happening in your life, it's happening in heaven is saying, that's right, he's got the authority. They have the power. They sit with me in heavenly places. I'm the one who told him to say that word. I'm the one who told him to pray that prayer. I'm the one that enabled him to do that and step out by faith. I'm the, that's why I met him there. That's why I met her there. I asked him to step out into my wheel. I asked him to do what, I, what, what, what was necessary for the moment, and God met them there. Why? Because they had the strategy. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria.org 